Welcome once again to Oakwood Connect. This is Pastor Ariel with Elder John Tromley and we are now closing in on the Sermon on the Mount and today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. All right John, this has been a while. Good morning, brother. yeah. Uh, I'm glad you were able to re re remember the <laughs> the sequence. I was worried, that's uh, for sure. With the recording. It's a good um, thing it's just a couple buttons. Amen, brother. <laughs> simplified version. Um, it's been a while, but I've been looking forward to, again, reuniting. Yeah. Uh, praying that Jelani can join us up soon again. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to be getting nearer and nearer the end. Um, you and I have been talking about how we're going to follow this up, and so we'll leave that as a surprise yes. for those mm -hmm. listening. Uh, but we are already in talk about what we're going to go next, and I'm excited about the options and the possibilities that we have ahead of us. But today we're going to be looking at a challenging passage. I mean, a lot of what Jesus says is is challenging. It, it makes us think. And so, John, so that we can get you know familiar with um, what we're going to be talking about, why don't you read for us uh, Matthew 7, 21 through 23? Sure. So once again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Yeah, so this is a sobering that passage. Um, I mean, when you first read it, you're starting to think there's nothing really happy about no. this. Right away, it stirs up that uh, that guilty feeling in you, yeah. right? That am I am I gonna make it? That you know, it seems yeah, to and, be. And the idea of I never knew you, right? You know, that is evocative of uh, distance and separation, and almost like a complete rejection. Mm. But we need to take this in light of the rest of the scriptures. Sure. So well, let's begin with the beginning part. Before we even gets to the I never knew you, there's a process here that Jesus delineates for us. Um, not everyone, so there may be some. Right. So he's not saying categorically, everybody that acts this way, he's out, but not everyone that says to me. But there will be some that say, Lord, Lord, mm -hmm. and it's a legit Lord, Lord. Exactly. So what Jesus is doing here is he doesn't want us self-deceived. He doesn't want us to have a false security in our walk with him. And so he simplifies it for us. So it's really, you know, I, I just think I, I always go to how this applies today, right? That's where my mind goes always. And it really does apply today because there are many out there who are saying, yes, I am a Christian. And yes, you know, they take that name on. But then what what is the biggest thing that deters people? They see people that say, yes, I am a Christian, I am a mm. Christian, but boy, it sure seems like you're not acting like one, right? Mm. And so that deters people to to come to God because, you know, what the one of the biggest complaints out there is that, you know, it's just churches are just full of hypocrites, right? Yep. And so uh, this is so important because, again, what's really being passed as Christianity today is not what Christ had in mind no. at all. And it, it goes from, from both extremes because then you have those that feel compelled to be quote-unquote obedient mm. and what they end up doing is getting on the news and becoming this horrendous, angry voices, condemning everybody, 
you know, protesting that, you know, our troops are dying because um, God is uh, afflicting our nation because of these sins or that sin. Right. And they're ascribing to God calamities that actually belong to Satan. Mm. So they become like the insurance companies that say, you know, oh, your cell phone got struck with lightning. Well, that was an act of God. We can't cover that. Right. You know, talk, take it up to God's department of complaints. So Christianity can go to either extremes of a watered down, you know, you, you call yourself a Christian, but you keep living as with no distinction between you and the world. Or you become an obnoxious voice claiming to be God or speaking in God's behalf. But what you're actually doing is negating his character. Boy, that's a, that's a whole show on a, of its yeah, own, right? The two extremes. Or, or being extreme in either way. Um, you know, I, I say this often. Christ is always found in the middle. He's, yes. al- he's always right in the middle. And we are always polarizing ourselves. We're right. bent to do that. You know, sin does pull us in that direction. And that's why, you know, when you read the Gospels, all four of them speaks about the Pharisees, mm-hmm. which were at this one pole, and the Sadducees were at the other, other pole. Side, so Satan is always polarizing us, which helps us understand how, you know, we've always had Democrats and Republicans. We always have these two opposing groups. And mm-hmm. people may say, well, I'm moderate. You know, if, if you're moderate, you're, you're um, for me a person in the middle is someone that is continually continually evaluating themselves because they have owned the fact that they lean one way or the right. other. Mm-hmm. But if I own it, then I continually I'm I'm not uncomfortable with doing heart searching that may point out no you're not as balanced as you think you sure. are. And that for me is what Jesus is is, is uh, trying to portray here that don't get comfortable. Don't don't get settled in your Christian journey. Don't think that you because you found a, a comfort spot that somehow that's a good thing. Mm. Christianity is a continual, ongoing broadening of our understanding of God and deepening our commitment to Him. So, a static Christianity is you're, you're probably polarized one way or the other, and you're just not aware of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we look at this, I mean, he said, uh, you. All through this, uh, uh, you know, the, the Mount of Blessings, what we've been going through here, uh, it's all been good news mm-hmm. up until like this this end part. It seems, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, it's, he, he's saying, "Come to," you know, this is just Christ. He says, "Come to me, come to me," and then so you have salvation by grace, you have salvation by uh, uh, faith and grace and all these things. But then he says, uh, "But there's some things you got to do." Mm-hmm. Right? The will. Well, I'm sorry. The will. The will, right? God, and God's will. And and so you're like, oh, ah, boy, you know. So how do we do? You know, earlier this week I had a brethren say, you know, we we know that we're saved by grace and salvation. That's where our salvation's at. Why do we muddy it up with obedience? Mm. It was the question he asked me, and uh, I thought, boy, that that is uh, interesting because that's our outlook on obedience, isn't it? That sometimes we we uh, we don't want to do that, and, and it, it becomes this negative thing to us, obedience. You know, being a father, whether it's a brother or the mother or a father, if they have children, you know, Jesus, if he was transposing this whole speech into a family setting, mm-hmm. it would be like me telling Gianna, why do you call me daddy, daddy, but every time I ask you to pick up your toys, you ignore me? Mm-hmm. Why do you call me daddy, daddy? I love you, daddy, daddy. But every time I tell you, stop hitting your sister, you continue doing it. (laughs) So this is the simplified version of what Jesus has just said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
but then don't no don't do those things right. that I've asked you to do. Mm-hmm. So obedience doesn't muddy anything. Obedience defines the relationship. Mm. Obedience is what clarifies, you know, whether you are my daddy or not. Because especially when you get into the teenage years, right? That's when uh, the children reveal their uh, allegiance and their trust. And it's a difficult time because you're trying to develop autonomy, etc. But at the end of the day, this stigma that, you know, a stereotype that every teenager is a rebel is, is a stereotype. Right. It's like Jesus saying, not everyone who is a teenager, you know, says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who is a teenager disobedient, dis- disobeys their parents. Daline, she was very um, obedient to her parents. And her mom testifies. I mean, her, her mom and I, we have a great relationship. And my mother-in-law has told me how Daline was always dependable. They can always count on her. So when Daline would say mom or dad, her actions made those statements legitimate. Mm. But if I'm continually rebelling, if I steal money from my parents, if I'm continually lying to them, if I'm, if I'm getting into trouble with the law and all those things and I carry their last name, I may say daddy, daddy, but I'm denying that relationship. I'm making that outward statement or my external you know identification my last name of no meaning at all because i am not acting according to what my parents will like me to do which is the fifth commandment right right next to the sabbath um to worship god because he's the creator the very next verse is honor your parents so call your dad mom and dad but behave like a son Mm -hmm. behave like a daughter because obedience far from muddying things clarifies it it's funny you you bring that example up because uh, my wife too was one that was you know she didn't she didn't stir the the stir the pot or mm. anything and um, why did they marry us right right exactly and it was <laughs> I can remember we I would just I remember talking to her about this when we were dating that you know she would talk to me about how she would uh, tell her mom things and that was so foreign to me. I was, why do you talk to them? You know, why would you tell them anything? <laughs> They're your parents. Yeah. Keep, keep, keep everything away from them. <laughs> exactly. But so, so believe me, I understand what you're saying for, I mean, it's so funny because, you know, this relationship that we have with God, you know, it is the only relationship that we try to, we cl- we, we want to claim it. We want to claim it. And then, the and then we don't want to actually have a relationship. It's the mm. only relationship we treat this way. You know, it's you're, you're, you're for me helping me, <clears throat> you know, clarify my struggle. Our culture, the movies that I watched, all modeled for me that dysfunctional attitude mm. of I live in your house, I eat your food, but I lock myself in the room, I have my headphones, and you better not enter into my private space because it's my private space, even though it's your home. So I want the goodies of a. a a living place, you know, clothes in my closet, laundry, all that stuff, food. But I don't want the relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you nailed it when you said that. The, the culture ingrained, especially in the 80s, most of the movies in the 80s, you know, kind of modeled for us a false relationship between teenagers, young adults, and parents in which it was a, you got to take care of me, but don't ask any, any return of commitment or loyalty from my part. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to go that route with my parents and saying, you know, you guys don't give me no privacy. This is my room. If I want to have this or that and yada, yada, yada. And my parents were like in shock, like, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we are your parents. What's wrong with you? And culture, 
culture can muddy mm. the relationship. And within Christianity, Jesus obviously recognizes that we have these false forms of relating to him. And he doesn't want things to get muddied. Or as in the discussion we were talking about, you know, confusion. Right. Babylon muddies things. Right. In the book of Revelation, you mentioned the three angels' message. Babylon is the one that muddies things up for humanity's mind as to how this relationship actually works for a mutual blessing. Mm -hmm. So far from obedience being a muddying element, it, it can be a blessing. I think our apprehension with the word obedience is a legitimate concern because many people have uh, taken it to the path of legalism. Right. Where somehow I earn God's love through my obedience. And that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is a response to why am I calling God my Lord? You know, why am I referring to God with that title? Um, it's because I choose to, hmm. not because I have to, but because I choose to. And why is my choice to submit to the Lord? Because I have seen what he's done for me at the cross. Jesus's revelation at the cross dispels all my fears and apprehension. And to some degree, you know, that's what happened, what healed my relationship with my parents. When I began, the Lord began to open my eyes to how much my parents sacrificed to the, so that I could have my legal papers, how much my parents sacrificed so that I could have an education, how much personal sacrifice your parents go through for you that you are oblivious during your childhood. Mm -hmm. You don't realize that, you know, staying up till late at night folding laundry or when you're sick, staying up all through the night to take your temp. You don't really appreciate those things until you're older when you actually realize what your parents go through. And that's when your heart turns. And that's when you, if that change takes place, now you do value them right. for their relationship, not because of the money they might have in the bank account. I like that word value. Cause, you know, it makes me think of, you brought up Babylon and makes me think of the Tower of Babel mm. where we kind of see the, not the first time, but uh, where God promised, look, I'm not going to destroy the earth mm -hmm. again with a natural disaster. I'm not going to do it. It, I, I promise you that, and he gave them a sign for the or for the for that covenant, so they would remember. And the people basically went, "What if he's lying?" Yeah, right. You know, uh, <clears throat> as God really said. Yeah, <clears throat> they didn't value what he told them. He didn't. They didn't value the promise. So, so he tells them to spread out. What do they do instead? <laughs> they all congregate together, and and we're going to take heaven by force by building this tower. So, God, we, we don't trust you. You know, we don't value what you say, but we do want the goodies. So we'll get it ourselves. You know, now we would never build a tower. That's silly. But that tower, that, that theology, the theology that built that tower, we'll still use yeah. today. Has right? God really said? I mean, that was right. the echo of Genesis chapter 3. That's how the Lucifer began the dialogue with humanity. Has mm -hmm. God really said? Right. And it's, it's been echoed. You know, and here Jesus is echoing the, the will of God, which we're talking about, you know, this idea that because God is so transcendent, so eternal, so almighty, so out there, how could we possibly ever know his will with our three and a half pound brain? Right. Um, that has been addressed by God from the very get-go. He has come down to our level. He came down to humanity. Um, There's a beautiful sermon that I read many years ago about the latter that uh, Jacob saw in his dream that came from heaven. Mm -hmm. And in this sermon, the pastor says, 
the ladder did not come down 15 feet off the ground and God said jump try to reach hmm. it it says that the ladder came and touched the ground wow. mm-hmm. so that it was accessible it was reachable it was attainable and Jesus in John chapter 2 I believe it is when he's calling the disciples at the very end when he talks to Nathaniel he tells him you're amazed because I, I said that I saw you under the fig tree you will see greater things you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Hmm. Jesus is that link that came from heaven. And he didn't come 15 feet off the ground saying, okay, John, <laughs> run harder, you know, or build yourself a little tower right. to try to reach it. He comes down and touches ground and becomes a part of humanity so that every human being can be connected with the Lord, can know God's will. That was his prayer in John 17. And we talked about this verse, Psalms 40, verse 8 where we have the will of God simplified for us. Um, John, uh, Psalms 40, 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, there it is, mm-hmm. oh my God, and your law is within my heart. Now Hebrew poetry does that. It's called parallelism where it says one thing one way, but says the exact same thing but a little different. And so here you have the will of God linked to the law of God. Mm-hmm. They're inseparable. So any theology that wants to tinker with the law of God is tinkering with the will of God. Mm. And so when Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you're not doing my Father's will? It is a distortion of the law of God because the law of God, far from being just a list of behaviors, is a revelation of who He is. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it reveals His character. Amen. And so you, when we when we think about this, why... Uh, this obedient thing, when we t- when we think of the will of God, how how do we? You know, you've already talked about it. Christ came down. God comes down to us. Uh, when we try to apply this, mm. it's so hard for us because it almost we we almost do flip that coin where we want to make it about our works, mm-hmm. right? Um, what is that? that line how do we how do we um do the will of god without going okay you know i've got to do this today mm-hmm. right um and i always find that when you when you purpose like that when you're like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it that's when you get attacked the hardest right mm-hmm. so you know i guess that key ingredient that i'm looking for is you know when 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 the bible says god wants his law on our hearts that's the difference, right? Yeah. That's what motivates us. Are we still going to goof up? We're still mm-hmm. going to goof up. And I think that's that's where we get, that's where we muddy it up, right? <laughs> we muddy up obedience, ultimately. When we goof up, we think, okay, well, now I'm, I'm doing these things, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. And we worry about those things. So where's our... Where's our encouragement? Where is our, uh, our motivation, our encouragement? You know, where do we get that? Well, uh, to some, I mean, if you read the Bible, um, you begin to see that when God, when you say those things, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. God is merciful, and He says, "Go ahead," right? Because He knows that far we, we, sin has messed us up big time. You know, our parents will tell you, "Don't do these things." When I was your age, I did these things, and look what happened. Mm-hmm. We'll do those things. You know, right. what does that know? That was his, in his era. You know, this is a different time, place, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have a good track record of benefiting from those that have come before us. Exactly, right. So God has left a record that says, I know that you probably won't listen to advice 
the first time around. Mm -hmm. So go ahead, try to obey me, and, and you will discover that you can't. And that will take time. Mm -hmm. It will take maybe you getting so discouraged with religion that you will leave the church for many years because it just doesn't work for you. It's failed you or God has failed you or you really sincerely wanted to have a heart change and you really wanted to obey God, but you just, like you said, muddied the waters even worse. Mm -hmm. So God is not forsaken us when we go through that. He's patient. And what he's waiting for is for us to come back and say, you know, God, it's not just that I can't. Deep down, I just don't want to. Mm. And that scares me. Mm -hmm. And God says, praise God. Yeah. Because that's that's where the sermon begins. This whole sermon begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right. So if you're getting to this part where it says, I never knew you, this is at the end. But the very beginning of it is... Um, the realization, the recognition, the truth of the matter why we muddy the water is because we want to muddy the waters. Mm. There's still parts, even after conversion, there are still parts of us that are still like a magnet towards things of our past or maybe new things that we've learned along the way. And the, the, the learning transition of is our reaction. When I start sensing that these attractions, how do I respond? Originally, our response is, I got to resist. I got to, I got to. But it takes time. Sometimes for those of us that are knuckleheads like, like me, hmm. it takes us years to learn the reflex reaction of, God, man, I would really love to do that right now. But I am realizing that if I do that, I'm letting go of you. I honestly, my heart don't want to let go of you. But right now, I don't know how I can resist reacting to my anger reacting to my greed or whatever it may be God created me a clean heart today right. renew a steadfast spirit do for me inside of me that which I cannot do for myself and what is it that God does for us right in the Psalms 40 verse 8 says I delight to do your will oh my God and your law is within my heart no human says that innately mm -hmm. this is the miracle of the grace of God in that through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, Hebrews says that I will, with my spirit, um, the spirit says, I will write my laws in their hearts. And this is David who said this, by the way. Yeah, right. David, who did not do his will. Exactly. <laughs> he muddied things up. Right. So when I began to think about it, and I, I began to mature in my relationship, I am no longer trying to look at obedience as this pleases God, but rather this protects me. I, I began to realize obedience is God's way of saying, I love you so much, I don't want you to get hurt with sin because sin will wound you. I will forgive you your sin, but in planet Earth, much of what you do will have consequence and some of those consequences cannot be undone, mm -hmm. like David. Right. A baby, an innocent baby died. His one daughter was raped. His one son overtook the kingdom from him, you know, wanted to kill his own father. He brought, he allowed sin to taint his family relationships so that there were echoes, uh, ripples of that one act that he, though he received forgiveness, he realized sin does bring death. Sin brings chaos. Sin brings uh, untold pain. And God wanted to keep me from this. That night that I was looking at Bathsheba, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. The Lord is your shepherd. 
You have no need. Mm-hmm. Turn back to God. Don't get caught up with this. You don't need that. Your body may be telling you, man, I really would like that. But that's not what you need. And I made a choice. And God was trying to keep the heartache and the pain that followed. I killed that woman's husband. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that chaos, that's muddy. Right. Right. Exactly. So obedience doesn't muddy anything. It is this obedience that messes us up. Mm-hmm. And God loves us so much. He puts inside of us the capacity, like Philippians says, both to will, to desire, and to do of his good pleasure of his will. You know, it goes back up to the verses, just a uh, couple verses up, where he talks about the narrow. And once again, and I like the word you use, this maturity with our relationship with, with God. And with our immaturity, we say with a oh, there's this narrow way, but there's all this other stuff, right? But really, you know, like you just said, the narrow, that makes it almost easier if yeah. because you have the one to, thing to focus on. All that other stuff, it, it like you said, it just brings chaos and it brings confusion and it, it brings negativity, <laughs> you know, the stuff that you don't need, but you have the one way to you know, go. We, I think I may have used this illustration in the past. Um, I was reading some books on education. Actually, it came from looking at some things in our school. We were looking at whether we needed to put fencing around it or not. And in the research that I was looking at, they do have data that shows that, especially children that grow up in inner cities, they are way more willing to go and play in their pr- playground when there's fencing around their playground versus when it's wide open into the surrounding environment. Mm. Children need structures that make them feel safe and protected. So for for this illustration, the narrow way, mm-hmm. gives me security because it's clear, exactly. it's defined. Children in a home where there are no guidelines of, you know, we, we sit at the table together to eat. We do this together. You put the clothes in the hamper, which, of course, they learn <laughs> to do those things. We pick up our toys. But having rules and guidelines that are consistent makes for happy children right. because they know what is expected from them in a consistent basis and is for their benefit. It's nice when they have finally learned to make their bed and put their toys away. It gives them a sense of satisfaction. But in homes where there are no rules, where the kids have their bed full of Cheetos and chocolate milk and there's just no rules no guidelines they get up whenever go to sleep whenever you don't want to brush your teeth that's fine those children are in constant stress and anxiety because they're trying to figure out life being children Mm -hmm. and they don't know the consequences of not brushing for three weeks you know then they're starting to have toothaches they don't know the consequences of staying up till three in the morning playing video games when parents don't offer structures that narrow way Mm -hmm. it brings chaos to their health, mental health, physical health, emotional health. God wants us healthy. And God, as his children, he wants us to look at him as our father. He gives us clearly defined guidelines that are consistent. And by trial and error, you can learn that, wow, God was right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's happened to you, but my dad told me it was going to happen. When I was 16, 17, him and I were having this big heated debate in the, in the car, um, I was dating this one girl, and he kept harping on me. You know, Ariel, we, you shouldn't be dating girls outside the church. And I was like, but there aren't any girls in the church, at least pretty ones. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you better take that back. You're gonna uh, get complaints. Well, that's how you felt. You know, right. sin, sinful nature. You're, you're you're wanting you know the Cindy Crawford's type of women. 
And he kept saying to me those things and we kept arguing and then he stopped and he said, Ariel, someday you'll be my age and you'll tell yourself my dad was right. Mm -hmm. And you know what, John? My dad was right. Mm -hmm. And that's the point where I think, you know, when we want to describe what spiritual maturity is, is when you say my heavenly father was right. Right. But, you know, on the other side of that coin, you know, with the rules of the house, you know, going with that uh, analogy still, rules that make sense, yeah. rules that have a foundation is what's important. Yeah. Um, rules because, look, I just don't want to get the punishment afterward. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do them at the last second begrudgingly. I'm going to do them because I don't want punishment. Mm. Rules that make sense, and that's what God has to offer. You know, His law does make sense. Mm. It's you know because otherwise we do have that. Re we can take that relationship that we might have grown up with with our parents of I'm just going to do it just so I don't want to hear the yelling or the punishment or whatever. Um, we can apply that to God, mm. and I think that's what happens a lot of times with our relationship with God. That's why we have this thought of. Oh, obedience, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's why we have it's that. Sabbath. Exactly. You know. So we apply our relationship with our parents to God, and that isn't what He mm -hmm. has laws that make sense. They're for our benefit. You know, you, you, you may help him with that and taking you that step further with that analogy. I'm thinking about rules that our parents give us that they don't follow. Right. You know, we and we catch them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, don't eat those things. And then we... <laughs> And mm -hmm. we open the door and there's our dad or mom stuffing their faces with stuff that they've asked us or told us we shouldn't eat. When God asks us to do, he's asking us to do what he does. Right. Everything that exactly. he's asking us, he is consistent. So this relationship of a reciprocity that Jesus is speaking of, he doesn't want us to flower him with nice words or flower him with outward behaviors that we think he wants from us, like Try prophesying, just him, right? yeah, prophesying and miracles and all those things. Um, all those things can be done by Satan, really. Um, but what God wants is what only a child of His will do. Right, His will. And with this statement, you know, I never knew you. Like we said earlier, this comes at the very end right. of this sermon in which Jesus is highlighting the honoring of choice. Um, he has called us in 1 John 3, 1, I believe it is, that says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed <laughs> upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Mm -hmm. And 1 John chapter 1 begins, I mean, John chapter 1 begins with, you know, that, you know, we, we have been born of God through Jesus. God desires us to be his children, but there's a hardening process that can happen to a human being's heart in which I come to the final statement of, I don't know, I don't want you. I don't want you. I've heard about you. I've investigated. And at the end of the day, I, I, even if I realize you are good and all those things, I still want sin. I still want this. Mm. I don't want you. So the statement, I never knew you, is God's response to our a appropriation or receiving of his gift of being called his child. Mm. So the statement, I never knew you, is an honoring of the human choice, not God arbitrarily saying, who are you? You know, um, it is interesting that we need to put this into con in the context of the Gospel of Matthew. Because Peter three times says, I never knew Jesus. Mm -hmm. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. 
So God doesn't cut us off when we make our goof-ups, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. you know, when our behaviors negate the fact that we know God. Peter verbally said, I, never, I don't know this man. Who are you talking about? And he did it with cursings. But the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus still knew Peter. All right. And Jesus would tell Peter, I know you. You will betray me, but I never will betray you. Mm. And that's what broke his heart. And that is, I mean, if, if let's say hypothetically that Peter, um, instead of crying, looks at Jesus and says, see that man over there? Yeah, that's the one that I said I never knew you. I never knew him. He begins to harden his heart. And after the resurrection, Jesus says, sends for Peter. And Peter says, I'm not going to go see Jesus. He could have made those choices. Sure. He could have decided, I'm not going to see Jesus. He's probably going to punch me. He's probably going to give me leprosy. He's probably going to make me blind. Like you said, the fear of punishment. And Peter could have hardened himself to the point where he got to where Judas got. Judas betrayed Jesus too. Judas kissed him in the cheek and said, Rabbi, mm. you know. But was he past the point of forgiveness? If he would have come with repentance, would Jesus have forgiven him? It's interesting that Judas never goes back to Jesus. He goes back to earthly priests. Right. He tries to make things right by returning the money, which they did not accept. Mm -hmm. So he tried to solve his mess up. He tried to solve the mistakes of his life, mm -hmm. and he ended up destroying himself. He ended up severing that relationship between him and the Father. So close to salvation. I believe, and you know, people can correct me, and I'm not going to get into an arm wrestling argument, but I believe that if Judas had returned to Jesus, if Judas had in the, at the supper, at the last supper, when Jesus says, the one who eats for my bread, um, he's the one that's going to betray me. If at that point, Judas would have said, Lord, it is me. I've been scheming. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. I see that you know my heart better than I know myself. The disaster that would have followed would have never happened. Right. Mm -hmm. So Jesus' statement of, I never knew you, is not him being fed up. It's him with a heartache saying, I don't understand why you would refuse my offer of love. But if that's your choice, I understand. And we, 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 will, we will have to, I, I will have to honor what you want. Right. But that has, doesn't have to be anybody's destiny. Even if, if you're listening to this right now, it doesn't matter what you've done five minutes ago or five days ago that may have separated you from God. God still knows you, and in His providence, He's allowing you to hear that His greatest desire is for you to be His child, for you to be His daughter, His son, and He works in you for that miracle to happen. He is the one that places in your heart His law, so that far from being afraid of punishment, you begin to realize the blessing of obedience. Obedience will protect you. Obedience will bring happiness, not because of obedience in itself, but because it will establish the relationship you have with your Heavenly Father. He will give you evidence. What I am doing, it is God doing it in me. I am His child because God is with me.